Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is the Steelers Preview Show, presented by Unibet on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Brazuda and Matt Williamson. Edition of Steelers Preview. I'm Mike Persuda along with Matt Williamson. We will be joined, as always, by Merrill Hodge as we get you ready tonight for the Steelers and the Cleveland Browns on Monday night at Heinz Field. We've got a little bit of a different set up tonight. Uh, I am not in studio. I am in uh, the basement of my palatial export estate, uh, the little home studio uh, being employed tonight. And the phrase we use in the current uh, environment and atmosphere is due to an abundance of caution. So uh, (laughs) read that uh, how you may. Matt Williamson is at the uh, palatial iHeart Studios in Bridgeville and Merrill Hodge is in whatever uh, patch of woods he uh, happens to be in getting ready to hunt whatever he happens to be hunting. But uh, we are getting ready for the Steelers and the Browns, and there's a lot to chew on uh, getting ready for Monday night. But, Matt, we would be uh, in air and then some if we did not acknowledge Ben Roethlisberger's comments this morning down on the south side. Quote, I don't ever speak in definites or guarantees, but looking at the big picture, I would say that all signs are pointing to this could be it. And, of course, what he's talking about is this is it for him in terms of regular season home games at Heinz Field. I don't think uh, there were too many people expecting that this wouldn't be it for Roethlisberger back in September. But uh, now that we've come this far, Matt, uh, and uh, the end is uh, near, if not uh, you know, right on top of us, the Steelers could still get into the playoffs and they could still host a playoff game if they're a division champ. But uh, the clock is ticking, and as Mike Tomlin uh, might say, the sand in the hourglass is running out. Did uh, this development today hit you at all? Had you uh, become comfortable uh, with the understanding that this season would be it for Roethlisberger? And what's the immediate emotion when you think of the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger? Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much thought every step of the way that this would be the last year. I mean, 
Um, if you remember not that long ago, I guess it seems like a million years ago, he came back and sat down with the Roonies and Kevin Colbert and Coach Tomlin, and they figured out the, the the plan here of, you know, to give it one more go and move the contract around a little bit and that type of thing. And I think his play warrants and his that the, the retirement should be now. I think it's the right move. I think he's a hard time protecting himself at this point. And that's got to be kind of frightening as an athlete. And I'm you know, interested to bring that up maybe to Merrill Hodge as well. We, you know, when do you know? Um, I think the time is now. But, boy, has it been an amazing run. And, um, you know, I have a 15-year-old son, and it's crazy. But he's been a huge Steeler fan forever, a huge football fan forever. And he doesn't remember Ben, you know, in his prime. You know, when, when he was just a, a Marvel, a, a Josh Allen-like you know, specimen out there shrugging people off and making amazing throws. And I just hope people don't forget that version of the superstar quarterback. Boy, I think that's a great way to frame it because uh, it's happened to me a couple of times in the last two years. And, I'm, you know, I'm not here to bury Ben Roethlisberger sure. the way he's playing now. His passer rating is 90.2. I think that's tied for 18th in the NFL with Mac Jones uh, of New England. He has been, uh, I will say, unremarkable. And this is a guy who was always remarkable with a capital R in his prime. But a couple times over the last two seasons, I found myself working on something that required me to go back and do a little further review on something that happened back in the day. And boy, when you click around YouTube or uh, NFL.com or whatever, wherever it is you like to find your highlights and you find some of those classic Ben Roethlisberger moments, my God, was he good. Wow. Uh, yeah. Did it as well as really it's ever been done when he was doing it as well as he could do it. Without question. I mean, natural playmaker, the size just stands out. I mean, he was an oak tree in, in the, the pocket, shrugging guys off, Terrell Suggs on his back and those great battles, ultra competitive. And I think one of the things that's lost is I think people realize, yeah, he's got a big arm and he throws the ball well, but he has elite arm talent and the ability to take something off the fastball, a variety of pitches, so to speak, you know, throw from different angles and with people on him and his feet not set, really just about as well as anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, it was it was an interesting uh, evolution uh, to his career. Uh, that accuracy that you mentioned, uh, the, the first-year offensive coordinator, Matt Canada was talking about that today. Canada was the quarterback's coach last year and uh, the OC this year. And when he was asked about Roethlisberger, he brought up immediately how he can just put the ball exactly where he needed it to be. And as Canada put it, six inches will make you a star. And uh, it certainly will when you can have it six inches just in the right spot as often as Ben Roethlisberger did it. And uh, as you watched his career progress, you know, he used to just take sacks and throw guys off and throw the ball down the field. And uh, then he became a guy who was capable of getting it out quick. And when he started doing that, uh, it was because he could read defenses and understand where it needed to go and uh, do all the things. Uh, you, you hate to say game manager because it's not nearly. Um, People should take game not, manager as a compliment. It's not easy to manage should, a football game. That, that, that's a good point as well, yeah. but that's not enough of a compliment. You right, know what I mean? right. Or, orchestrator, I think, you know, the conductor, uh, the guy who's pulling the strings and making it happen and the guy who knows how the defense is going to react. So he's he's a move ahead and. He, he never, I thought, got the credit for that as his career evolved. And now I think he's at a point where he can still throw a football and uh, he probably will be able to throw a football 10 years from now. But uh, as you mentioned, he can't protect himself and he can't move, particularly 
with the Steelers' offense in the current configuration that it's in offensive line-wise. You know, he won a Super Bowl with a line that was probably similar to this one sure. uh, when the Steelers beat the Cardinals. But now they're fighting just to try to sneak into the playoffs. Uh, he's, he's not playing the game that most of the NFL quarterbacks are playing, and I think the game that most of the guys who are going to be elite moving forward are going to have to play. There's still a few uh, dinosaurs out there, Tom Brady among them, but uh, the pocket passer's going away, is he not? I think, you know, I mean, it's it certainly being Mac Jones will be the guy I look at to see if it works. You know, if you can win with your head and your accuracy and anticipation and all that. And you mentioned Ben's accuracy and I've heard accuracy described this way. And I like to steal it from whoever created this is all the quarterbacks can hit the door. You know, the, the great ones can hit the doorknob. The elite, wow. <laughs> the, elite, the elite ones put it through the keyhole. And to me, oh, that's, go. that's been with people hanging on them and with rare size. Who came up with that? You can't remember? I, I should just say I did. That's a great line. <laughs> I, 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 real, yeah, hit the door, hit the doorknob, hit the keyhole. Uh, that's, uh, that's Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, I grew up uh, watching Terry Bradshaw on television. And then when I started covering the Steelers, uh, my my first uh, game on the beat was the third to last game of the 1986 season, and uh, Bradshaw wasn't playing anymore. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of guys that came and went, and uh, they kept coming and they kept going, and the Steelers kept not winning Super Bowls. And sometimes they came pretty close, and sometimes they were a long way away. But uh, that uh, the first part of that didn't change until Ben Roethlisberger got here. And uh, once he did, they won multiple Super Bowls and uh, were a contender almost every year of his career. Yeah, and you can take it for granted at times because he's been such a, a, a rock for this organization for so long. Like I said, my 15-year-old has no clue what the life's like without you know pre-Ben, those type of things. And, I, I mean – it's starting to really show this time of year when the weather's come around and teams have injuries and nobody on the field's 100% that those elite quarterbacks, I mentioned Josh Allen, we saw Mahomes last week, um, I don't think we'll see one on Monday night, are, are really starting to carry their teams and wait till the playoffs get here. You really have to have that guy to compete in today's NFL, and there's about 10 of them left right now, and Ben was one of them in his day without question. Yeah, it's going to be Roethlisberger against Baker Mayfield on Monday night at Heinz Field, and I don't think that's going to be uh, a matchup. Uh, it's not going to be similar to a Mahomes-Rodgers no. potential Super Bowl. But uh, let me ask you this. Uh, looking at uh, where the Steelers are and where the Browns are, do you see or sense that Ben Roethlisberger and maybe the emotion that he's going to play with on Monday night and uh, the, the emotion that the crowd I'm guessing is going to bring on Monday night and maybe the trickle down effect through the rest of the team. Are the Steelers going to ride an intangible because Roethlisberger came a lot closer to making it official today. And really is that the best thing they'll have going for the Monday night against Cleveland? It's certainly an advantage. I mean, Dale, Law for those that don't know, Dale Lawley and I host the drive every day. And, you know, we, of course, have analyzed the schedule well in advance and even maybe before the season started and kind of circled this one saying, boy, this is a tough spot for the Browns. You know, I don't know how the season's going to go, but 
you know, a Monday night here, probably Ben's last game, you know, and into this crowd, big rivalry. These teams have met, it's going to be the fifth meeting in two years. You know, these teams are, you know, real rivals now. It's not just a big brother beating up on a little brother situation. So you got to think that emotion coupled with a long week to prepare to, you know, mend your wounds and whatnot certainly works in the Steelers' favor. Yeah, you mentioned it's not uh, big brother uh, against little brother anymore. It certainly is not, and that goes beyond what we saw in January. Even though the Steelers were able to beat the Browns 15-10 to 10 in Cleveland uh, back at the start of the year, this is a, a series that uh, the Browns have started to take over. And uh, ever since that uh, tie that uh, the two teams played season opener, I believe that was in the uh, 2018 season, uh, no, sorry. It was the, uh, yeah, it was September 9th, uh, 2018. Ever since then, uh, the Browns have gone four, two and one, including that game against the Steelers. And if you throw the playoff game in the Browns have gone five, two and one in the last eight, starting with that, uh, hard to figure at the time tie. So, uh, you know, this is, a, a, this has become a series in which Cleveland has the upper hand as, as goofy as that is to say, because one of, uh, one of the notable characteristics of Ben Roethlisberger's career was how much he enjoyed sticking it to all the teams <laughs> sure. that passed on him in the draft, and particularly the ones from Ohio, the Bengals and the Browns. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's interesting, too, about this recent series, you know, since the Browns have gotten out of the doldrums is, you know, obviously there's the the Miles Garrett-Rudolph game. And I remember that Thursday night thinking, boy, even Bennett is best isn't winning this game. The Steelers are in a bad spot. And, you know, week 17, almost one year ago, the Steelers rest everybody against the Browns, still almost win. And for their efforts, they get the Browns in the playoffs by resting everybody. And then that's their first, you know, weak opponent. And they end up losing that game. You know, they're getting in a huge hole early. And so there's been a lot of moments just lately, you know, since the Browns have been relevant to really, you know, spark this thing and make it a lot more fun. I think it's a whole lot more fun. And I'm, you know, I'm not sitting here rooting for the Steelers to lose to the Browns or anything like that. But, uh, you know, when, when I grew up and started following football, the Browns were a lot better and then the Steelers got a lot better and then the Browns got uh, better and they couldn't go all the way, but there would still be battles. You know, these, it was a, it was a rivalry and it was a great series. And then that went away after the Browns went away. And when they came back, it was a joke for a long time. And uh, now it's not. So uh, it should be a highly competitive game on Monday night, a highly emotional game on Monday night. And interestingly enough, both of these teams uh, still need help to win the AFC North, but uh, it's doable. The, uh, the critical component in that uh, AFC North title chase now becomes the Kansas City Chiefs or the critical element because uh, they play the Bengals on Sunday in Cincinnati and both the Steelers and the Browns are going to be rooting hard for the Chiefs in that one, Matt. Oh, without question. And uh, yeah, you're right. The, both these teams need help, <laughs> you know, and, and from other scores as well as, you know, their play on the field. Neither one's in a great spot. No, no, same with the, the Ravens. And one nugget I just wanted to throw out there, you know, and to wrap up the Ben conversation is the, the, the one year that I was a part of the Browns organization as a scout was Ben's rookie year, and we were terrible with the Browns. So when everybody would leave the facility, I, I just had an empty apartment to go to. My wife lived here back in Dormont. 
I would just go watch all all the rookie Steeler quarterback snaps. You know, I mean, in my free time, I'd get an ice cream cone and sit there and watch Ben and be like, man, I think the hometown team's in pretty good shape. Yeah, it uh, it, it developed quicker than uh, the Steelers thought it would uh, back at the beginning, but once it did, it it caught fire through that thirteen and zero rookie season, and then uh, the next year onto the Super Bowl, and uh, the rest isn't quite history yet, but. Uh, it's going to be NFL history, and it's uh, it's going to be revered NFL history. Get into that playoff picture uh, before we start digging into the game. Uh, the Steelers need to win to to get to nine and seven. If they can do that, and the Bengals can lose to the Chiefs at home and the Browns on the road, which uh, you know it's not like we're asking Jacksonville to beat the eighty-five Bears here, Matt. <laughs> right, uh, the, true. Both, both of those things are uh, highly possible. Uh, on the Cincinnati, and then Pittsburgh would win the division. Pittsburgh can get to the wild card if uh, it can win two games, and then Miami loses one, Baltimore loses one, which it would if the Steelers win there too because one of those is against Baltimore. Uh, The Chargers lose one, and the Raiders lose one. The uh, complication there is the Chargers and the Raiders play each other. So I think what I'd be rooting for if I was a Steelers fan would be for uh, the Raiders to lose at Indianapolis this weekend and then beat the Chargers at home yeah, to uh, close the regular season. Because I don't, I don't see much chance of uh, Denver beating the Chargers uh, this coming Sunday. Denver, I think, is fresh out of quarterbacks. No, I think you're, you're probably right there. And you mentioned the Chargers. Boy, did their loss to the Texans just open the door for the rest of the AFC. I mean, one week ago, I thought, man, there's zero chance – the two teams from the North can get in, you know, I mean, the Colts, Patriots, Chargers, they're going to be the wild card teams. And as I made this mistake 8,000 times since analyzing this league, don't assume anything. The one little wrench in the plan though, for the Steelers winning the, 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 uh, the North is got to win too. They, they got to win too. That's obviously a big wrench for them at any point, but if you beat the Browns, would the Browns play everybody in week 18 in a game? that doesn't matter to them anymore. That that's who knows. I think they would against the Bengals at home. I think, think there's rivalry there as well. Uh, they've got some nursing dis- this groin, and Mayfield's got a hundred injuries, and you know. Yeah, that's a it's a decent point. But uh, first things first, got to get through the Browns and yep. see if that's a factor. Uh, some news uh, out of Cleveland, by the way, and I'm not going to bother with the practice reports because it's uh, a Monday night game, and uh, this being a Thursday, that's a normal Wednesday, and those really don't tell you a whole lot, right. but. Uh, ClevelandBrowns.com reporting that the Browns have gotten a bunch of guys off of the reserve COVID-19 list since Monday, and that would include five of their starters. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, defensive end. Uh, Newsom, the talented cornerback out of Northwestern. Greg Newsom, the second. Uh, Ronnie Harrison, Jr., the safety. Uh, Malik McDowell, defensive lineman. And J.C. Treader, the starting center. All of those guys uh, back practicing today for Cleveland according to Browns.com. But, uh, Matt, I got to tell you, I just before the show tonight, uh, I watched uh, rewatched the Browns-Packers game from Christmas Day and uh, looked a lot like the uh, Steelers-Browns playoff game back in January. Uh, the Browns were uh, riddled with COVID issues then, and it didn't matter, and they just came in and took care of business. And uh, But for those four Baker-Mayfield interceptions, the last of which – was a horrible non-call, I think, in just about everybody's estimation. I'm not sure what you thought of it. but no, uh, I agree. Boy, Cleveland went into Green Bay and really played a great game. And 
somehow didn't win, but really played well on both sides of the ball. Yeah, yeah, they they absolutely did. And I mean, I know that they're in a rough spot. I mentioned, you know, all three teams in the north outside of Cincinnati is is absolutely in a rough spot. But I, I feel like Cleveland's kind of turned the corner a, a little in terms of getting over those big COVID issues, you know, those type of things too. And um, you know, they they've lost two in a row, but by a combined four points. And they've only they've lost three of their last four but by a combined eight points, you know, so they've been right in it. They just couldn't quite get the W in these, you know, three of the last four games. Yeah. And what they've been dealing with these last couple of weeks, I mean, their offensive line um, didn't have treader. Uh, the right tackle situation has been in flux, right? Uh, Joel Batonio, the outstanding guard has been playing left tackle because Jedrick Wills jr. Hasn't been available on the defensive side. They haven't had Newsom, clowning McDowell. Uh, both of the starting safeties were out in the green Bay game, Ronnie Harrison, Junior and John Johnson, even our kicker was out because <laughs> yeah. of COVID on Sunday in Green Bay. But uh, boy, it's a, it's a defense that uh, runs and tackles. Got some guys who can uh, cover ground and and hit. Uh, catches are for the most part contested in the secondary and offensively. They run the ball. And uh, Mayfield, I'll say this for Mayfield, Matt. He uh, is very competitive. He doesn't look comfortable both from a physical standpoint and just you know, how the games are kind of playing out, but he's throwing the ball in the tight windows. He's playing aggressively. He's not blinking in the face of adversity, as Mike Tomlin might say. Uh, I think these guys are going to be a real handful Monday night. Yeah, I agree with just about everything you said there. I mean, I'm not a big Mayfield believer, but he isn't bashful. You know, he is highly competitive. His team responds to him. I'm sure we'll talk more Mayfield, you know, with, with Merrill as well. Um, and again, this is a very talented roster. I mean, you could just look up and down the roster and where they've spent their money, how they've built this thing, and understand why a lot of people thought the Browns were going to win this division before the season started. We've got a lot more to get to tonight, uh, so keep it here. Uh, Matt and I are going to be here until 8 o'clock, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by the third member of our team, Merrill Hodge. He's got uh, a lot of insight uh, regarding the game, and I'm sure he's got a lot to talk about regarding Ben Roethlisberger as well. So you'll want to stick around for that. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE. Back to the Steelers Preview Show, presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you tonight till 8 o'clock on the preview. Time now to join the third member of our full house backfield, Merrill Hodge, joining us as he always does on the show and Merrill, uh, we've got a lot to get to regarding the Steelers and the Browns, but uh, Matt and I opened yep. talking about the news of the day, which was Ben Roethlisberger uh, making it all but official. As he said, he doesn't speak in definites or absolutes, but all signs pointing to Monday night being his last regular season home game at Heinz field. Uh, I was telling Matt, uh, I covered a lot of guys uh, before Ben Roethlisberger's arrival and uh, you played with with some of them, and some of them were better than others, but none of them were Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, what is no. going through your mind today, and uh, what are you thinking about when you think about Big Ben? Well, I, you know, I've been asked about this uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, he and I have developed a really good relationship. Um, you know, I consider him a, a dear friend. i got enormous respect for him. Um, I actually think he is – just a fabulous story of accountability you know um like there's nobody with, with there's nobody on this planet that can walk on water 
There's nobody, um, and even though, and everybody's made mistakes. And oftentimes people will go, well, I didn't make that mistake. Oh, you made mistakes, period. End of story, mistakes, mistake. Doing something wrong when we're in life, okay. It's the people that will be accountable for that and, and change and um, never do it again and um, move forward in their lives and become a person of high character, which is, which is probably what I admire the most about him. Now, I, the best way I could put the perspective of when he retires, it is the equivalent of losing a guy like Chuck Noll. Now, can you be lucky enough to find a Bill Cowan? I mean, that's, that's your dilemma, you know, um, um, you know, unless I've been down, I, I know you've been to practice, you, you guys go to practices, you guys can verify this, you know, when he's not on the field, it's, a, it's an average team. When he steps on the field, it's like, oh, that team just changed. There's not a lot of players like that. There's just not, there's very few that come around in the hundred years we've been playing that like that. Um, you know, so, um, and I, I know people truly appreciate him, but I almost believe that he's a guy that will be, probably be more appreciated when he's gone. You'll, you, you'll, you really. I would I, agree. I no doubt. I would agree. You're there. You're there for so long, and you've done things at a certain way. These fans are just used to that. You know, they just think that's how it is, and you know, and that can be done and duplicated, and <laughs> it's going to be rude awakening. <laughs> could come next year. It's just, you know, um, but he is, you know, listen, the, the thing you got to really focus on is what the Steeler fans got for nearly 20 years. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, this organization is great. The fan base is, is the best in football for a bunch of reasons. Okay. Um, one of them that I've always believed is their, their, their genuine appreciation for people that would give everything they got when they walk inside those white lines. You know, um, the, the chief, when I first got here, spoke the first time he ever spoke to the team, only the first, first meeting I ever had, he talked about, we are a fiber of this community. We are, we need to weave within the community and giving back. That's what he talked about. You know, we're part of this community. They're part of us, man. There's nothing been more true um, in the 35 seven, eight, not 40 years, whatever long I've been around, you know, playing for the organization and around it, that um, that was spot on. still like that today. And um, you had one of the greatest in the history of the game that you got to watch for, you know, nearly two decades. And and I never fan will appreciate that, but I, I think his true appreciation will be when he's gone. Merrill, great stuff there, of course. And, you know, so many athletes don't have the advantage of deciding when they stop playing this great game. It gets decided for yeah. them. And and I wonder, you've been around so many stars that actually got a chance to, you know, uh, retire on their own. I mean, how, how do you think they make that decision? You know, as an outsider, I look at Ben and say, you know, he can't protect himself on the football field like he once did. Is, is a factor like that a big deal for those guys? Yeah, well, you know what, listen um... – I remember when I went to Chicago. Here's what I here's here's the rule I played for myself. I would never jeopardize my long term health for another check or Sunday. That's how I looked at it. I'll never do that. Um, so, and I think that I think that's actually some of Ben's perspective. Um, now, let's keep in mind I didn't have kids either. You know, mm-hmm. my career ended because of improper care, 
um, of, of head trauma. So I, I'm one of those players who didn't have that control. Um, even though I was in my prime, I didn't have that control. But that's a, that's a standard I, I set for myself. So I'm using that as um, Ben is not what he once was. Um, now, he still does incredible things. You know, very few quarterbacks in the NFL can do still to this day. But, you know, he doesn't throw people around and run all over the place and just make just – I mean, Hulk-like plays. He doesn't do that. You know, he can't do that any anymore. And shoot, I went over there. I think it was like week seven, week six. Okay, this is um, um, after he had gotten hit. I think the, I think the hit was at Buffalo. Actually, I think it was week one. Um, maybe it was after the Green Bay game or whatever it was. And he he pulled up his shirt and he had a bruise from his knee to his armpit. <laughs> I mean, it was like I'm like, I was like, I go, but I go, did you paint that? I go, look like you painted it. I never seen anything like that, you know. And that's why he had all those pads because okay, I was giving him a bad time. I go, bro, you got, you've got more pads on than I wore. And he was like, well, let me show you. And he comes like, oh my gosh. So being, that being said, yes, I think that you you look at you know long term, you know, and and uh, and what you want to do and what you want to have around for the next forty years. Your life's work, as Chuck would put it. And those, you know, and, and he's got a great support system. His wife's amazing. His kids are amazing. I mean, his dad is just, you know, he's a superstar. And his, his dad and mom. I mean, not just his dad, his dad and his mom. And I just, I think he has visions of giving back, you know, and, and he's, he's got stuff with or a father-son, the relationship he's had. He wants to build something and help people in that manner. And that's starting to become passionate. He's becoming passionate about that. And so it's a, you know, it's a nice transition because well, I don't care how much money you made and I don't care where you stand in life. If you do not have a purpose and you lose that purpose and you don't have somewhere else to divide, to drive your passion, it's a problem. And I think that those things have, are evolving for him and have been evolving for him. And, um, and it makes it an easier transition. And he's, um, he is, um, and I think he understands how lucky he is that, you know, he gets to call it, you know, um, it's not, it's not taken from him, you know, and, and I think he's thinking of all of those things too. And um, he won't have any regrets. I, I know that he'll have no regrets. Well, you know, this is truly the end, which I do believe it is too. Um, he won't have any regrets. And that's, that's the greatest piece you can have. Merrill, uh, they were talking on the game Sunday against the Chiefs, Jim Nance and Tony Romo about Roethlisberger being the only guy with three 500 yard games in NFL history. It's, it's impossible to think about Ben Roethlisberger without thinking about Roethlisberger to Holmes touchdown win the Super Bowl. But I, I yeah. talked to him probably about five years ago, and he had passed some milestone. And I was doing one of those, you know, look back stories. And he said that one of his favorite plays, if not the one that he thought represented him the most, was an incompletion he threw on December the fifth, two thousand and ten in Baltimore. The Steelers were trying to come back from a 10-6 deficit, and Terrell Suggs was hanging all over him, and he didn't give up the sack, and he didn't turn the ball over, and he was able to throw it out of bounds and keep the down and distance manageable, and then they scored a touchdown two plays later and won the game. But, uh, you know, he had some great battles with Suggs. He had some great battles with a lot of people, but he expressed to me that it was the, I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to submit, you know, kind of competitiveness that always defined him. That's what he really appreciated about that is that an accurate portrayal can we look past statistics and just and, and get to the intangible and uh and the competitive spirit i guess um it's funny i remember that play that was the most unhuman like play i'd seen from a quarterback 
Okay. Um, and I, I can see why that would stick in his mind, um, how it gave you a, first of all, probably the only quarterback in football that could do that. Now, I don't know if anybody stature wise and intellect wise, because it requires not smarts in this game too, you know, so I just eliminate a lot of big quarterbacks. I mean, because, um, you know, if somebody starts throwing out some big, bigger quarterbacks, well, they've just been eliminated there. Um, um, that he could do things like that, you know, and the manner in which he he could do it um, is unlike I, – I can't think of anybody. You know, I, I've watched this game for a long time. I mean, studied it for a long time. And he's still somewhat of a freak in the way he played, you know, and how he, he he's evolved. You know, I don't know that he's truly ever gotten his due respect because of the things you just described, Mike because of how unique that was and, and incredible of how smart he is and how, how smart he played, how, how, far, how much he has come in the game intellectually, is an intellect and understanding the game and playing it with his mind um, has gotten, um, has gotten to an elite level too. You know, it's been like that for years, you know, um, and I, I, that's kind of been lost in his journey that I think, you know, unfortunately hasn't been recognized enough because, you know, shoot, this game coming up. Okay, you know, he he moves uh, Najee Harris over when he throws that touchdown pass to Fryermuth. Okay, well, I'm just telling you. I, I don't in the first Cleveland game, yeah. Yeah, in the first Cleveland game, you know, just because he knows. And, and what people don't realize, because he got sacked earlier in the game on a similar thing. And Najee was on the other side. So, you know, he adjusts to the game, brings him over to the side, doesn't need him over there. I don't need you to get out. I'm not pulling at you. I need you to help me. And he comes over and Najee, you know, speaks to his intellect and his smarts as a rookie. That He did it. You know, he adjusted really quick and did what he was supposed to do and gave him that extra half, extra half a second. So, you know, he just – he has uh, – um, hey, there's I, – I, that's why I'm trying – got to find Bill Cowher. <laughs> yeah. So that's the that's the challenge, you know. I just I don't know that you get that lucky. I hope they do because, you know, I'm just from the fan perspective and the organization perspective, I would love it, you know. But that's just that's the kind of leap you're looking at. Merrill, way back when I played in the Heinz Ward celebrity softball game, and Ben came to the plate five or six times and hit five or six home runs, you know, <laughs> of course. And I thought this guy could be a PGA golfer, an NBA shooting guard or point guard, and an MLB first baseman, the best bowler in the world, whatever. I mean, is that how he comes across to you too? Well, now listen. <laughs> now I have a personal relation. I can't go this far because he and I have still been oh, go this far. Come on. <laughs> we, we, we we got a basket. We 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 were up, we were up at Treesdale. There's a basketball court out there, and I was telling you, know, I was. Um, I was one of the best basketball players in the state. I was a McDonald's player, and um, I just that just got away. He's like, "Yeah, you are." He was always really good at basketball too. So we start, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's go do it. Okay, so we went out there, and um, <laughs> now this is what he does. Okay, now we're going at it back and forth, and it's it ends up being a very good game. He backs up and hits a three point shot, but his foot was on the line. I saw his foot on the line. <laughs> Anybody but he makes shots. I said, well, that's not a three points. No, he goes, I go, you couldn't see your foot. The foot was on. I'm not going to lie to you. So he quit playing. So we technically didn't finish. This has been going on for almost 15 years now, this debate. So um, <laughs> I got to be careful. I didn't mean I hit I a sore spot with you here. 
<laughs> yeah, you did. Because I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get into he's going to be an NBA player. Also, let me tell you this: I was actually blown away. I was like, I thought I was going to dribble around him and make him look chilly. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy can play basketball too. And anybody's played golf with him knows he can freaking hit the cover off it. And yeah, he's just a stupid golfer, and he's incredible. But yeah, he is. He is. He is talented in um, in uh, so many ways, which I would not. Um, you know, yes, on and I'll, let's, okay, let's put that that standing on a three point line, standing on the line away from things. Yes, he could be all those things you talked about. He is that gifted and skilled as a, as an athlete. Merrill, no, another guy you wanted to uh, honor tonight, uh, John Madden, who has uh, passed away at the age of eighty five, and uh, a guy who warmed a lot of people's hearts in a lot of ways yeah. in uh, in a remarkable football career, including yours one time. I didn't know that. John Madden was smart enough to recognize that Merrill Hodge was all Madden material. Well, listen, I, you know, um, I, I made the all Madden team in 1990 and I, I don't know if fans, um, most people probably understand how you got on the team. You could only get on the team if he saw you play, if he did a game. So that eliminated a lot of the AFC players. And I'm just going to tell you how, how as AFC players, we were like, that's terrible. Because whatever, you know, we get to play once a year, maybe, I mean, once um, in your career, maybe. He, he may never do a game for you, you know, especially if you're not on a good team and you're not playing somebody like Philadelphia or Dallas. You don't play that division. And they have to come to your home. If you if, if you go there, he, you know, um, well, you, yeah, if you go there, you could be on there too. But anyway, it's harder for the AFC. And the stars just ended up aligning for me. This is how I make the team. Philadelphia comes into play. I remember Madden came to, to came to our practice. You know, um, I went to our the production meeting too, which I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bore you with that story. But that was really interesting to me. It opened my eyes on so many things, and we actually had a connection on something from a broadcasting perspective that I had no idea about. Anyway, um, we go in a game, and Reggie White had been. If you remember Reggie White back in the day, there would be some games where Reggie would leave his defensive end position at any given time in the game and just start walking up and down the offensive line looking for the weak link. Well, the game is back and forth. It's a fist fight at the 50, and he starts to do that. Well, he lines up over a right guard, which is Brian Blankenship. Brian Blankenship was a funny dude. He and I rooted together for a while. I mean, but he's a fighter. But he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, help, help, <laughs> because Reggie White lined over him, right? <laughs> First of all, I can't believe he's yelling help, okay? So that's a dead giveaway that you're already done. And he basically bear slaps him, knocks him out of the way. I stepped up to help because that was part of our game plan. We were going to help out, but more when he was on the defensive end side. And I ended up blocking him. So I blocked him, and we threw for, we threw for a first down. So we get in the huddle, and, you know, everybody's like, Brian, you can't be screaming help. You can't scream help. I mean, we're, we're going to help you out, but that looks bad. Just quit screaming help. So we go back to the line of scrimmage. I think it was our next third down. It was shortly after this. He's doing it again. Obviously, he, he stops over Brian Blankenship. He's screaming help. Reggie slaps him out of the way. I step up to help. I block Reggie White again, and we throw for a first down. I run, there was a third short, I think it was a third short or fourth short to end the game. And I popped the run for, I, I, I popped off about a 20 yard run to end the game. I'm, and Reggie White tackles me. And Reggie White was on the other side of the field. I didn't realize it until um, I went back and watched tape on how it happened. But anyway, 
that game, because I had blocked Reggie White, he'd never um, – uh, John Madden had never seen anything like that. <laughs> I made, I made, I made his All Madden selection. He, he, he called me up and at the end of the season and said I'd been selected to be on the All Madden team. And honestly, see that in that part of my career, they didn't take a fullback to the Pro Bowl. They didn't even consider a guy. And actually, that was considered better than the Pro Bowl. Like if you were an All Madden player, that trumped the Pro Bowl um, tenfold over. Everybody wanted to be. All Madden. And when I got the trophy, I mean, Madden did everything. When you hear how he went about things and wanted things to be, you know, authentic and, you know, about football and learning football and respecting football and, you know, just how football, how great football is and what can learn be learned from football. That that trophy that I sent you, Mike, is 35 pounds. Wow. Like, I was picking up my... I wanted to pick it up out of the box. I'm like, what? I thought it was stuck. I was like, what the heck? I'm like, I pull up out of there, and that thing was just chiseled in just metal. I mean, and it's, it obviously it's it's a beautiful. And they gave us all um, all Madden sweaters, which I ne- the only time I ever wore it was just to take a picture the other day to post it. It's the only time I've ever worn it. I have kept it's it all picture. these years. I will, yeah, we'll always keep it. You know, it's the only time I'll ever put it on. It was, but it's one of the greatest recognitions I'd ever gotten as a player. And it's like, from player perspectives, like that validated you. Like if you could play for Madden, if he if they found value in you, you're like, okay, that was the greatest. That was the greatest. So uh, they always, you know, everything you hear about him is just authentic and true. He was he was truly like that. And and the players, you know, I don't know of anybody who comes in to do a broadcast now or send that feels like that about who's rolling in to do the broadcast. And nobody, you know, he was when he came into our practice, we were like, I mean, you should have seen our walkthrough. We might as well have got pads on. <laughs> so, like, everybody who mad was there, and I was like, okay, nobody's making all mad team and you know here, but it was intense. I mean, it was he elevated our practice just when he entered here when he walked in the building. So, um, uh, sad, sad for football to see somebody like that go. But you know, more of a eighty-five years, and he helped change this. Guy. Sure, I sat on two committees with him over the last twenty years. The way to play program that I helped start in the National Football League still exists. He was part of the committee to help me get that going and underway. So um, I've worked with him too, as far as he was. We all sat on the committee with him and we tried to change, clean up the game and give you football direction some 10, 15 years ago. Um, I was on that committee with him and um, I learned so much from him and I have such respect for him. And I'm glad that we had somebody like you because. Because we did, the game is better because of all the input that he had and what he brought to it. Merrill, great stuff. Uh, appreciate your insights, particularly as they relate to Ben Roethlisberger and, and John Madden. And hopefully next week we're still talking about a playoff scenario when we dial you up again. Man, I wanted to ask him about Jadavian Clowney too, though. Come on. Yeah, yeah we got to roll, man. Oh, we got to wow. roll. Is <laughs> Okay, run reverses to him and run, run, run off. He won't, you'll lose him, trust me. Watch him hit himself in the head. That's my Thanks, favorite. Merrill. We got one more segment to go here on the preview, so keep it here with uh, Matt Williamson and Merrill Hodge. I'm Mike Persuda. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson finishing things up as we continue getting you ready for the Steelers and the Browns on Monday night 
at Heinz Field. You know, Matt, uh, the guy Merrill Hodge referenced telling that Reggie White story, Brian Blankenship, was quite a character. And it uh, doesn't surprise me that he would be screaming help out there. Uh, he liked to have a good time, uh, work hard, play hard kind of guy. And he was a product of Nebraska. And I asked him one time, uh, we were waiting for a flight or something of that nature. And uh, I said, hey, Blank, what does that N on Nebraska's helmet stand for? And he looked at me and kind of rubbed his chin as if he was in thoughtful contemplation. And he said, knowledge. <laughs> That's good. Very good. <laughs> so speaking of knowledge, uh, you know who the Steelers are by now. I know who the Steelers are by now. You know who the Browns are by now, even though the COVID thing, you know, there's a lot of comings and goings on both sides. But if I'm of the opinion the Browns are better on the offensive line and on the defensive line, how do the Steelers work around that? Yeah, and to me, I mean, there's two huge keys to this game. And they had success the first time doing it. And, of course, that's stopping Nick Chubb. And not stopping, just not letting him destroy you like Dalvin Cook has and even Dante Foreman and some of these guys, DeAndre Swift. And most years, I would say, man, crowd the box like crazy. You know, have no respect for Baker and their outside-the-numbers passing game, which I have very little respect for, and you'll be fine. This year, who's to say? I mean, he's still Mike Gasha. He's a tremendous back. And then the other big key to me is just limiting the damage that Miles Garrett does. And he isn't 100%. He's been fighting through a, a groin, I think it is. But, I mean, I'm sure he wants to wreck Ben's day, and he's very, very capable. You know, the Steeler offense, uh, obviously, it struggled in Kansas City. It struggled in the Tennessee game, getting all those turnovers. Struggled in the first Cleveland game. Uh, watching the Browns against Green Bay, and I know their secondary had a lot of guys in there that don't usually play the extended roles that they played, and I'm not sure what they're going to have Monday night, but everybody out there in white was flying to the ball and tackling. I don't think that sideways stuff is going to work this time. Uh, if yeah. you're the Steelers, and you, and you know it's Ben Roethlisberger's last night, do you hope you can somehow keep Garrett from wrecking the game and attack these guys down the field? I guess. Uh, the, the strategy I've been taking more or less for the week is if you look where they spend their money, how they team build, to your point about all their defensive backs running well, I think their back seven is very athletic. You know, they went out and first-round corner, gave John Johnson, Troy Hill, all these guys money. I think you want to live in 12 personnel with, with Najee, Fryermuth, Gentry, and two receivers on the field. And you notice I didn't say Ray McLeod because I've had enough of him, to be very honest with you. And, and put I think we all have. Yeah. Well, just, not quite all of us. Not everyone. Put them in the game, yeah. And just have Gentry on uh, Garrett's side, more or less, and maybe even Harris on that side. And that doesn't mean you can't have Ben in the shotgun and detach those guys, but I think I would come out with heavier personnel. And try to run them or try to dink and dunk them? What do you, what do, you do? I don't like the dink personnel? and dunk idea, to your point. I mean, either max protect and try to drive the ball down the field if you think the quarterback is still capable you know, Fryermuth in the middle of the field would be appealing to me, but I also think you want to run at them too. I mean, I think you got to mix it up a little bit, of course. Yeah, Green Bay actually ran the ball pretty well they against did. the Browns, uh, and the Packers did uh, a lot of things. Well, Aaron Rodgers had three touchdowns, and uh, Green Bay won the time of possession, but, boy, that game was there to be uh, taken by the Browns, and they just couldn't take it. Uh, Let's look at it globally, as Mike Tomlin uh, 
Mike to describe it before we get out of here. What's the biggest hurdle to the Steelers getting to the playoffs, do you think? Is it the Bengals having to lose twice, or is it the Steelers having to win twice? And regarding the latter, is the Cleveland game going to be harder to win than the Baltimore game? Hmm. I've been lumping these three teams together all week. I mean, if this was a Ravens pregame show, a Browns pregame show, I'd be saying, man, this team's got a lot of issues. I don't know if they're capable of beating two teams in a row, and I certainly feel the same way about the Steelers that are all on pretty much even playing fields to me, or at least the same tier in the league right now. Um, I certainly could see Cincinnati losing two in a row, but I also think that probably the best path might be the wild card, and maybe you have to study it a little bit more, but I mean, I, I think there's a chance that they win out and still don't win the division and still pop them, you know, sneak in the playoffs. Yeah, I've thought uh, nine and seven and one all along was going to do it. Me too. And uh, I still think the, the the biggest question is, can they get to nine? And uh, I got a lot of respect for this Cleveland team. They're getting ready to play. And I know they're struggling and they're banged up and all of that. Uh, that was the team I picked to win the division at the start of the year. That still might happen. It's unlikely, but uh, we'll see. Uh, it's been a tough division. The Steelers got the first one. Uh, I think it's going to take a little Ben Roethlisberger magic on Monday night for the Steelers to c- complete the sweep. That is going to do it for us tonight. want to thank uh, Shirtless Tom behind the glass there in Bridgeville. He's had uh, guys coming at him uh, from all angles tonight, and he's run the show in flawless fashion. Uh, thank you, Matt, as always. Enjoyed uh, the show. We'll do it again next week. Until then, for Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. You've been listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.